start with verse 12 and read down through verse 18. Paul writes here and he says, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel, so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. May God bless to us this reading from his holy word. Well, historically, in all military conflicts, there's this issue that comes about uh, that, uh, that scholars begin to refer to as mission creep. Uh, you see that in, even in various places around the world where, you know, people might set out with all kinds of good intentions. They, they set out to accomplish a certain uh, uh, agenda item. And then what ends up happening as they begin to engage in the conflict, they begin to add new things, new agendas, new goals, new strategies and things uh, into the conflict. And over time, you have this mission creep. And so you get situations, for example, like Syria, where over the years there's been so much mission creep that it's caused greater and greater hardship, greater and greater heartache, and oftentimes, as in the case of a place like Syria, will lead to uh, the, the perpetuation of the conflict and the hardship. Now, in the church, we don't always use this kind of military language, but mission creep is a reality uh, and that, uh, that term has begun to be borrowed by uh, all kinds of organizations from uh, businesses to schools uh, to even churches. So in a business, a mission creep might happen where if, you're, if your mission, your business is to sell widgets and all of a sudden you decide, well, we're going to sell widgets, but we're going to also sell wadgets. I don't know that there's a thing called wadgets, but we're going to sell wadgets along with our widgets. And then they start to sell widgets and wadgets together, and then they want to sell widgets. And so they got widgets, wadgets, and widgets. Uh, and they start to, to spread out, and pretty soon they lose their primary purpose. They lose their primary focus. And many times that is the downfall of the business. Uh, or you see that sometimes in schools where the primary focus of a school is to educate uh, and to socialize, uh, and then many times they move in, move away from education into family planning, uh, into uh, family uh, restructuring, and, and any kind, uh, any number of things like that. And it also happens in churches, and especially happens in churches. If you ask ten people what the purpose of the church is, you would likely get about ten different answers. And all of them could be biblically justified. 
You know, this is the answer. This is what we should do. Uh, this is our primary purpose. And many times, uh, you get division amongst churches and even within churches on this. So some people will say, well, our primary purpose is to worship God. You know, that's our mission, to worship God. And, and other people say, no, 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 no. Worshiping God's not our mission. Our primary mission is prayer. And we need to have prayer and intercession. And then somebody say, no, 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 no. You know, our primary mission is not worship. It's not prayer and intercession. It's saving the lost. You know, we got to get people coming to Jesus and do everything we can. Uh, you know, beat them into the kingdom, whatever we need to do, entice them into the kingdom so they'll, they'll turn their lives over to Jesus Christ. And then some people will say, well, no, 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 you know, the primary mission of the church is to make disciples. I mean, after all, that's what Jesus said. But oftentimes, in our understanding of make disciples, what we mean is teaching the Bible. And so we want to we teach the Bible. We want to have people focus on teaching the Bible. Now, the thing is that the church is to do all these things. Worship, prayer, evangelism, teaching the Bible, making disciples and things like that. But oftentimes when we say, what is our primary mission? What is our primary message? Oftentimes that gets lost. And then what people begin to do is that they begin to bring so many different expectations and desires to the church. Some people come to the church because they want to have friends. And it's the place where they can have friendships. And so there's a longing for friendship. And there's nothing wrong with that, by the way, obviously. And then some people want to come to church because they want to be healed. You know, I, I don't feel comfortable. I'm depressed. I'm discouraged. Uh, I need healing like that. And so they'll come to the church for that. Some other people will come to the church because they want, a, you know, they, they want a sense of, of, of purpose and vision in their life. Uh, other people will come to the church because they think, well, if I start to follow God, then God will start to bless me and then I can prosper and I can have all kinds of good things in my life. And other people might come to church because they want healing and they long for healing in their life. And the thing is, none of these things are bad. All of these things are biblical. But it leads us back to the question that if your focus is on one of those things primarily then the tendency is for us to get into mission creep. And so it's important for us to understand what our mission is. And our mission flows from the mission of Jesus. In Mark chapter 1, it says that Jesus went about teaching, and he said, or preaching, and he said this, he said, the kingdom of heaven is at hand, repent and believe the good news. That was what Jesus did. Everything that Jesus did, everything that he taught, every miracle he did was serving to advance that mission that the kingdom of heaven is at hand, the kingdom of God is at hand, so people would repent and believe so that they would become part of that kingdom. The Apostle Paul, at the end of his ministry, He's talking to the Ephesians and he says, hey guys, you know, you know what I did and what I never stopped doing was preaching the kingdom. It was all about the kingdom. Now in, uh, and later in Paul's letters in places like Philippians, uh, there were a number of different ways to express that. And he expresses that today in this passage when he says that what has happened to him was serving to advance the gospel. Advance the gospel is really synonymous with advance the kingdom. And ultimately, that is our mission 
as the church of Jesus Christ. Our mission is to advance the kingdom of God. To see the kingdom of God go forth. To advance that kingdom. And worship and prayer and evangelism and disciple making and healing and inner healing and outer healing and prosperity. All these different ways are part of advancing the kingdom. It's part of what God does in advancing His kingdom or advancing the gospel. A few weeks ago, we were looking at this in Sunday Focus in the afternoon, and we saw how in the ministry of Jesus, as He advanced the kingdom, there was four dynamics for advancing the kingdom. First was presence, and then there was proclamation, and then there was demonstration, and then there was justice. And you saw this in the life of Jesus. Jesus is the king, so wherever he went, his presence brought in the kingdom. And Jesus is present even now with us. His presence brings in the kingdom. And then there was the call to proclaim the kingdom. And I'll go on to that in just a moment about the proclamation. And that's what he did. He kept saying the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And then he moved from that, from that proclamation into demonstration. And that's what healing was. And that's what deliverance was. Demonstrating the kingdom of God, the rulership, the loving rulership of God. And then also you had the dynamic of justice. Where he moved in the lives of people like Zacchaeus and there was a redistribution of wealth, a, a, a setting of the wrong things right. All these kinds of things happened. And that was advancing the kingdom of God. That's how Jesus did it. And when he tells uh, his disciples to make disciples, the implication is they will make disciples in the same way that Jesus made his disciples, teaching them to do everything that he taught them to do, which was about advancing the kingdom or advancing the gospel. And that's our focus and that's our mission. And everything we do as the church of Jesus Christ is to advance the gospel. In fact, the church is God's strategy for advancing his kingdom, advancing the gospel into the world. We are God's strategy. And all these other things that we've talked about and all these other desires that we have, these are good things, but they all must serve the ultimate goal of advancing the kingdom or advancing the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what Paul says. He says, everything Everything that's happened to me has served to advance the gospel or advance the kingdom. And there's one dynamic of advancing the kingdom that Paul is talking about in this passage. And that one dynamic of the four we just mentioned is proclamation. Proclaiming Christ. And when we proclaim Christ... What Paul is talking about is proclaiming that Christ is the King, that Jesus is the King. He's talking about proclaiming that Jesus is the one who died on the cross according to the Scriptures for our sins. That He was buried. That He was raised on the third day also according to the Scriptures. That He appeared to uh, all the other uh, disciples and even 500 other people. This is what we proclaim as we proclaim Christ and we proclaim Christ's message 
which is the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The kingdom of God is here right now. Repent and believe. That's all about the proclamation of Christ or the proclamation of the kingdom. And what we see in this passage and what we see in the writings of Paul and in the scripture generally is that there is an imperative for us as God's people to proclaim Christ. To proclaim Christ. And that imperative is that we proclaim Christ in every way. That's what Paul says at the end of the passage. You know, what matters is that in every way, Christ is proclaimed. Jesus is proclaimed. We proclaim Christ in every way. Now, what does it mean to proclaim Christ? Proclaiming is not getting up and yelling in somebody's face. Proclaiming Christ is not about telling people how bad they are, by the way. It's not about pointing out people's sins. Proclaiming Christ is about announcing the good news that Jesus is King, that Jesus loves us, that Jesus wants us all to be part of that loving rulership, part of His kingdom, and that we can come and be reconciled to God all through faith in Jesus Christ. Proclaiming Christ means that we speak, we announce, we pronounce this good news and this truth. Now, the word for proclamation is the word that would be used of a herald. And the idea behind the concept of proclamation is that, first of all, the herald, the one who does the proclamation, is actually embodying the message that he or she proclaims. There's a certain dynamic where the message has to be true for the one proclaiming before the one can proclaim with any degree of authority. If you are not a follower of Jesus, you can't really proclaim Jesus in this biblical sense. So the messenger, it has to be true for the messenger. Also, it, the messenger has to be the embodiment of the message. So if you're proclaiming the rulership of Jesus, you're saying, my life is under the rulership of Jesus. That's part of that proclamation. And the one who makes the proclamation is also the representative of the one who has sent them. That means that whenever and wherever we are, when we proclaim Christ, we represent Jesus. That's what Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, we're Christ's ambassadors, making his appeal. And that's what we do. We are the ambassadors of Jesus. Everywhere we go as the messengers, as the proclaimers, we are going as representatives of the one we proclaim. That's why it's so important that our character and our lives reflect the character of Jesus. Because if our lives is not, are not reflecting the character of Jesus, we cannot effectively convey the message of Jesus. doesn't mean we have to be perfect. But people have to recognize Jesus in us and Jesus manifesting himself in and through us. And this proclamation is not something that is just for people like me who are preachers. Every Christian has a responsibility to proclaim Christ. Now that doesn't mean that tomorrow morning you're going to get up, you're going to stand on your desk at work and say, hey everybody listen to me, the kingdom of heaven is at hand, repent and believe. Uh, 
they would probably commit you, uh, you know, have you sectioned if you did that. So I, I wouldn't recommend that. But it does mean that we need to be bold in talking about Jesus. When we have the opportunity, we need to turn the conversation toward Jesus. Not in a condemning way, but in an encouraging way. Not in a way that you know, says, oh, Jesus is going to meet all your needs, and if you come to Jesus, you're going to feel all better about yourself, because that's not necessarily true. But actually where you say, we believe that Jesus is the answer for the problems that we're facing in the world. We believe that Jesus died on the cross. We know that Jesus rose from the dead. That's a historically verifiable fact. It's really stating the truth about Jesus. And we state this truth with our words, with our voices, boldly, not necessarily loudly, but boldly and forthrightly. That's part of the, what it means to, pro, to meet the imperative to proclaim Christ in every way. And then we also need to understand that as we proclaim Christ, it's not only in words, but it must involve words. It's not only in words, but also things we do can proclaim Christ. When we celebrate the Lord's Supper, Paul tells us that every time we eat the bread and drink from the cup, we proclaim the Lord's death. It's the same word. It's the same concept. So every time we're practicing the Lord's Supper, by action, we're proclaiming Christ. Every time you take a stand on your Christian convictions in the marketplace, and you let people know, hey, I'm a Christian, this is not something that I can do, I can't lie, I can't cheat, I'm not going to have an affair, Uh, I'm not going to fiddle my expenses, I'm going to stand for truth. Every time you do that in the workplace, you're proclaiming Christ. Your action, your life is embodying the message and you're proclaiming Christ. And this is what Paul means when he says that this imperative is to proclaim Christ in every way. To proclaim Christ in every way. And the imperative also is to proclaim Christ in every circumstance. To proclaim Christ in every circumstance. You look at the situation Paul was going through. Paul, he's writing the Philippians. He's in prison. I mean, for most people, you're thrown in prison, it would seem like game over. I mean, how many times do you get get a TV preacher, for example, coming on saying, yes, I'm in prison right now, and my life seems to be falling apart, and most of my friends have abandoned me, and and a lot of people don't like me anymore, and a lot of people just disregard what I say, hallelujah, praise Jesus, send me some money. You know, you don't get that, do you? What you get is, oh, my life is great. When I came to Jesus, uh, I had nothing. Now I've got a mansion. Now everything's working out, and I've got all these followers, and, and I'm wearing an expensive Rolex, but I'm not going to point it out to you because I'm too humble. Uh, and I have a really nice Italian suit that was tailor-made for me when I flew to Italy uh, from the United States. It's not such a big deal from here, but it is from the U.S. You know, all, all these kinds of things. Oh, we, we have this tendency for people to want to sell this. And because of that, so often as Christians, we think, well, I can't proclaim Christ because I'm struggling with sickness. I can't proclaim Christ because I just went through bankruptcy. 
I can't proclaim Christ because my life, my relationships aren't working out like I thought they should work out. I can't proclaim Christ because I just lost my job. You know, I can't proclaim Christ because I feel a little depressed and down. Uh, I, I, I can't do this. And Paul is saying, no, that's, that's absolutely untrue. We are and we can. We have this imperative to proclaim Christ in every circumstance and sometimes in spite of our circumstances, and sometimes because of our circumstances. And what we discover as we live our lives and we proclaim Christ in whatever the circumstances, that sometimes the worst parts of our lives, the worst episodes of our lives, end up giving the greatest amount of glory to Jesus. Many of you know I've written this book called Freed to Lead, and uh, a lot of people are picking it up, and we've, we've got stories now of where some churches uh, have really gone through uh, the, uh, the teaching, the DVD course, and found healing and unity in their leadership team. Uh, it's very, very exciting. Some young leaders are picking it up and really finding a lot of life and vitality. They're going through the steps to freedom for leaders and things like that. And that's really exciting. You know, you love to tell those stories. But the truth is that book was born out of over 20 years of hardship and suffering. If I hadn't gone through the struggles that I had in all three of my churches, including City Temple, if I hadn't had the stories that I had to share, uh, and the stories that I share are not stories of, hey, we went through a hard time uh, and we were struggling and we had 20 people, now we have 25,000. You know, it's not that kind of thing. It's more like, hey, we went through a hard time and I'm still standing. And people are saying, wow, that's incredible. And it's amazing how the testimony is resonating more deeply with people, not because we have all the outward trappings of success as often defined by American ministries, but because we don't have those things and yet we're still proclaiming Christ. There's a power in that. There's a resonance in that. You know, how often... Do we get upset because we maybe somebody wounds us at church? I mean, is there anybody here who's never been wounded by another Christian? Uh, if you haven't, please write a book, and I will pay big money to get the book. You know, because Christians have wounded me more deeply than non-Christians could ever wound me. And I'm getting a lot of nods here. You know, so you guys know what this is like. But you know what proclaims Christ... What proclaims Christ more effectively is not the church that says, oh yeah, we're all happy. We sing in a circle, kumbaya, and we love each other so much, and we've never had any problems, and we've never had any divisions because I'm the only person in the church. Uh, it's not that kind of story. What really proclaims Christ is the story that says, yes, we hurt each other. Yes, we let each other down. Yes, we disappoint each other. But we're committed to one another and we're going to battle side by side the enemy. We're going to advance the kingdom of God together no matter how much we accidentally hurt each other or no matter how much we on purpose hurt each other. We are going to commit to one another and we're going to stand together in the name of Jesus. That proclaims Christ. That proclaims Christ. You know, it, it's great. I, I love the story we had uh, last night. Uh, a guy here doing a testimony of where he was heal, healed from cancer and a form of cancer that a person of his age had never in history been healed of. 
Yeah, and I love those stories, and we celebrate those, and we want healing. We're teaching on healing today in, uh, in the afternoon in Sunday Focus, and we want to be a place uh, known for healing. I've had it prophesied over my life that we will see healing like the Jeffries brothers did in the early part uh, of the 19th century. And so we, we're looking for that, and we want that. But you know, the healings proclaim Christ, but it also proclaims Christ when you say, yeah, things haven't worked out. I'm still struggling in this area, but by golly, I'm walking with Jesus and I'm not going to stop. Because I know who, that my Redeemer lives. And I'm going to honor Him and I'm going to serve Him no matter what the circumstances are in my life. That proclaims Christ. That's why there's a power in martyrdom. And that's why we pray for our suffering brothers and sisters in Christ rather than discarding them. Because we know throughout history that there's a dignity and there's a power when we suffer for the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so we have an imperative to proclaim Christ whatever our circumstances. And we have an imperative to proclaim Christ without pretense. Paul's talking here, and there's quite a number of other people. We don't know the, the full dynamics, the outcomes of everything that Paul is uh, talking about, the people that Paul is, uh, is talking about here. But what we do know is that there were some people who were proclaiming Christ with a whole lot of what Paul calls pretense or shallowness. And there were three things in particular that Paul identifies here that shows proclaiming Christ with pretense. Some people were proclaiming Christ out of envy. You know, I've seen this actually happen. I have seen people start churches not because they want to see more people come to faith in Jesus, but because they want to build up a big ministry. Because they see that building up a big ministry is the key for them to be able to do full-time what they want to do in preaching Christ and things like that. So they build it up for their own support. The thing is that they can color it with all kinds of biblical passages and all kinds of ideas, but ultimately what they're doing is proclaiming Christ out of envy. They want something that somebody else has. I know a lot of people who want to have the title of pastor in their life or the title of apostle. Uh, I told the story uh, a number of times of a guy that I saw uh, about 25 years ago, uh, a preacher in a small church uh, in the middle of the United States who on his beat-up old car had, had his name and the word apostle. So in, Reverend so-and-so, apostle. And he would drive around in this car. And some people just get off on that. They want that title. They want that acknowledgement. They want that uh, uh, praise of other people. And so they have an envy. They have a desire for that. And they'll preach Christ out of that. Paul calls that preaching Christ with pretense. Then I know many others who preach Christ out of rivalry. And this is the other one that Paul says, rivalry. This are, these are people who are preaching Christ with contention. I recently read about a ministry in the United States that uh, they go to different churches with whom they don't agree. Normally they're, they're big churches. 
and they take a, a small group of them, they attend the, the worship service, and then after the worship service, they start passing out tracts against the church. And they talk to people against that ministry. People who are going to the ministry. They're talking to them, trying to dissuade them from going to that ministry. And then they wait until uh, an elder or a security member or something like that comes out to confront them about this. And then they film the confrontation and they make it look like that the person that's confronting them is not fair-minded and so on and so forth. Let me tell you, if somebody came here even handing out a track that I 100% agreed with, but they didn't have permission to do it, I would speak to them about it. Because that is inappropriate in the kingdom of God. That is preaching Christ out of rivalry. There are some that they, call it, they, they identify themselves as heresy hunters, and they think it's their job to find heresy in all the other churches. And yet, the consistent testimony of the Scripture is focus on yourself. Get your own life in order and keep your own house in order. Don't start pulling down other people. And that's preaching Christ out of rivalry. And I've seen many lives destroyed because of that. And then there's other, there are others, Paul says, who preach Christ out of selfish ambition. They're doing that to get ahead. They do that to make a name for themselves. Uh, selfish ambition is a spirit of unrighteous competition. Now, there's a healthy competition that we guys can have. You know, we do that sometimes when we pray or read the Bible or play football or whatever it is. But then there's also an unhealthy competition. The unhealthy competition is where somebody else has to lose and somebody else has to be shamed in order for you to win. That's unhealthy competition. And that's selfish ambition according to Paul. And that's preaching Christ with pretense. Proclaiming Christ with pretense. And so we have an imperative to proclaim Christ without pretense. Now it's stunning to me what Paul says. He says, well, whether in pretense or not pretense, at least Christ is being proclaimed. And the truth is that in these ministries that are proclaiming Christ out of rivalry or envy or selfish ambition, that there are still people who are saved because they hear the good news about Jesus. But never believe that simply because people are being saved, that means that God approves of what is happening. Because we have an imperative to proclaim Christ without pretense. And we have an imperative to proclaim Christ in truth. In truth. And by truth here, we're not talking about, and I don't think Paul is talking about, he, he uses a different word for truth. Uh, by truth, we're not talking about the truth of the gospel. Like the gospel is true. The word Paul uses here for true, or in truth, is the word that is talking about authenticity. It's talking about a certain genuineness. In other words, we have an imperative, each of us has an imperative to proclaim Christ in a way that's authentic to us, in a way that is uh, true to who we really are as representatives of Jesus Christ. And how do we know if this is happening? Well, Paul, again, uses three qualities here for proclaiming Christ in truth. First of all, it's with goodwill. 
It's with goodwill. In other words, we want people to receive the benefit of coming into the kingdom of God. This has got to animate our proclamation of Christ. People can see that. People know if you're trying to proclaim Christ to get another notch on your belt, or if you're proclaiming Christ by putting them down and attacking them and criticizing them, people sense that and they don't respond to that. When we proclaim Christ, we must proclaim Christ out of goodwill. Out of goodwill. And then, we need to proclaim Christ, according to Paul, out of love. Now we talked a little bit about love last week. It's that same word. What is love? Love is a zealous, self-giving commitment to others for their benefit. So not only... Do we want them to benefit? Do we want them to have goodness come into their life by hearing the message of Jesus? But also, we are willing to sacrifice ourselves to proclaim Christ. Sometimes we sacrifice ourselves in proclaiming Christ uh, by serving other people. And sometimes we sacrifice ourselves by proclaiming Christ by simply stating what we believe the reason for which we have the confidence that we have. We proclaim Christ. And it takes a lot of love to do that. And interestingly, recent surveys in the United Kingdom has shown that when a Christian proclaims Christ, or we'd say share Jesus many times, but it's the same concept. When a Christian proclaims Christ out of love and goodwill, non-Christians respond positively. Doesn't mean that they'll all come to faith in Jesus. Many won't. Many won't follow that way. But many people, many non-Christians appreciate the fact that a Christian has the boldness and the love and the kindness and the sense of generosity to proclaim Christ in a way that will encourage them and build them up. And they respond to that. And then finally, Paul tells us we're going to proclaim Christ in truth. We must proclaim Christ sincerely. Don't use a canned speech, but really share with people what Jesus has meant to you, what Jesus has done. That sincerity is a degree of openness and authenticity that we've been talking about. And so we have an imperative to proclaim Christ in truth. And that means to proclaim Christ with goodwill, with love, and with sincerity. Our mission is to advance the gospel individually and corporately. That's what God's called us to. We do that in a lot of different ways. Our mission is to advance the kingdom of God. And part of advancing the kingdom of God is for us to fulfill the imperative to proclaim Christ in every way, in all circumstances, without pretense and in truth. We have an imperative to proclaim Christ in every way, in all circumstances, without pretense and in truth. And there's two final things to note on this. First, you are not responsible for
for the results. So often when we're proclaiming Christ, we think it's our job to convince people that Jesus is true. Do you know that's not your job? That's the Holy Spirit's job. You will never, by yourself, convince a single person to follow Jesus. Following Jesus always and only comes genuinely through the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit working in somebody's life. And that's the second. The Holy Spirit will help you do everything you need to do. So often we get worried, we start thinking, well, how can I do this? I'm so weak. Uh, I don't have enough Bible knowledge. My life's not perfect enough. My circumstances aren't perfect enough. I'm struggling with this. Uh, I, I, I don't know how to, how to deal with this. I don't know how to approach a person. But the promise of the Scriptures is that the Holy Spirit will help you. You're not responsible for, for the, the, the outcomes. And the Holy Spirit will empower you but we are responsible to accept the imperative in our lives in every way to proclaim Christ in all circumstances without pretense and in truth. Father God, I pray that you would come by your Holy Spirit right now and begin to work in us, to fill us, to strengthen us anew so that we might be people who proclaim Christ. Lord, I thank you that our very presence in any circumstance, because Jesus is in us, is a symbol of the presence of Jesus. But Lord, I know that that's not enough. I know that just having the presence of Jesus is not enough, that people need the message of Jesus to hear Jesus proclaimed. And I pray, Father, that you give each of us the boldness that we need to proclaim Christ in every way, in every circumstance, without pretense and in truth. Help us to proclaim Christ in the marketplace, in our workplaces. Help us to proclaim Christ when we're having lunch with people. Let it be a natural outflow of our lives in word and deed, to proclaim Christ clearly so that together we might see your kingdom advanced, the gospel advanced to the glory and praise of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. We pray all this in his name and for his glory. Amen. Amen. Let's